You are listening to an exclusive on PodHub Network. Your city, your podcast. The delight of this crowd, McClendon marches down the dugout steps with first base. McCutcheon's throw, the runner breaks to the plate, here's the throw, wow. You are listening to the North Shore 9 Podcast. Follow them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also, make sure to watch NS9 Live every Thursday on Twitch and help support by becoming a patron. Let's go, Bucks! Welcome to the North Shore 9 Podcast. I am your host, Anthony DiNardo. With me this week, we have Tyler. Tyler, man, what's going on? It's the winter meetings. What up, Nard Dogs? Not much what? going on with winter meetings. Not much going on with baseball. It's it's football time, man. Whatever. It's football time. I'm sorry. I'm just it's down because time. let it happen. I, I'm not in the fantasy football playoffs now. I've been officially eliminated. So, you know, I'm done with football. It's mm. over now. I don't care. That's tough. Dumb. That's tough. Football's dumb. Fantasy football's dumb. Everything sucks. <laughs> You're dumb. I mean, You're I dumb. am. I am, but it's okay. But no, and actually, as we're talking, so this is being released on Sunday. We're saying nothing's happening. By the time this is being heard, there could have been 30,000 trades that happened. Trevor Bauer signed a one-year $50 million deal. <laughs> But as of right now, just so the people know, we are actually we'll recording this <laughs> Wednesday night. Is that what day it is? I think so. I don't even know. Track. That's why there's a pause. I had to think. In my mind, I'm still <laughs> thinking it's Tuesday, actually. <laughs> so that's I not thought it was good. Thursday. So. It's not good. I'm off this week. So <laughs> it is it, Wednesday. In my mind, being Tuesday and actually being Wednesday is not good. If this is a working week, that'd be great. But no, I'm trying to hold on to this vacation as long as possible. But anyway. Nope, I'm off for the next two days. Anyway. Anyway. We got some fun today. We do. We have a special guest. We got Matt Geica back on the show. We're going to talk a little baseball. Don't try to spell his name. Don't spell his name. I, I'm going to. I'm going <laughs> to. It's funny because like I do know how to spell his name, but I swear every time I spell it, I always second guess myself. Oh, I and I go to Twitter every time. I go to Twitter every single time. And I'm like, oh, okay. It was- See, I don't know if the J goes before the T, the K. Where's that go? I always put the T before the J. I'm like, nope. I, I just don't it. trust myself. I don't write it enough. You know, I know he's, he's spelled it out for us before. We've talked about it. I, I know I know it. But every time I, I do it, I'm, you know, self-conscious. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't trust myself. I get, I get very Josh Bell-like, you know. Start dancing. I don't, I don't know if I'm, <laughs> I don't know, you know if this what? is right. And I go to Twitter just we, to check. You know what? Donardo, I think pretty soon we're both going to memorize it because he's going to be writing somewhere. And we're going to read it every day. There you go. I like Matt, too. He's an awesome guy. Great, great hair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember hair. when he cut that a Terrific while back. hair. I wish I, I was, had a hairline like that. I was disappointed. Yeah, I know you do. Mine's, mine's superb, but I just yes. have it a little bit short. I hate long hair. Yeah, I had it long for a while ago, but I just can't take it anymore. Once it starts touching yeah, my ears, you, I'm you done. You look like touchdown Jesus. I did. 
I, I, they call like me Jesus. the the Caddyshack off or the Caddyshack, the Caddy off of um, what was that Adam Sandler? God, why am I drawing a blank? Gilmore. Yeah, Happy Gilmore. Anyways, enough of that. Yeah. Let's let's get Matt <laughs> on here. Let's save this show. Matt, right. come save us. All right, let's get him on, Tyler. All right. All right, and joining us from Pittsburgh Sports Live, we have ourselves Matt Geica. Matt, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? Thank you. You and I were just talking off air about the last time we saw each other, the last time we communicated was almost a year ago, pre-COVID, which feels like about 10 uh, years ago. So you know what? I'm doing all right. I'm still alive. I have not gotten sick. In fact, I feel like I've been healthier than ever because I'm wearing this mask and I'm protecting myself from everybody else. So uh, yeah, ironically, it's it's been a nice stretch of health and we have a new baby in the house. So that makes two boys uh, with myself and my wife. So plenty of activity. I'm definitely not bored. I'll put it that way. Plenty of activities. <laughs> uh, activities. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure you got a, a packed house there, a lot going on. Uh, also, congratulations once again. Uh, what was that? Your son was born in what around June-ish? Early July, yeah, right July. after uh, right after the fourth. So um, summer baby. After uh, his name's Henrik, and then we had Lucas four years ago in uh, in the fall. So uh, yeah, some brotherly love is starting to crop up. It's it's uh, it's heartwarming to watch. It's I had I had a brother too. It was just the two of us in our family. So a little mm-hmm. bit of a Geica brothers repeat here. There you go. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, I feel you too. I feel like you know, because you're just isolated in a sense, I'm not really going too many places. I mean, still go out, but you're not seeing as many people. I feel like I really haven't gotten sick in that sense all year either. I can't yeah, remember typically, last time I had like, like a, a cold or a sniffle this, or anything. This is a bad time of the year for me. Usually I always get my, uh, I call it my annual sinus infection in November or December. So, uh, knock on wood, it's December the, the 9th as we record this and I, I'm still healthy as a horse. So let's keep it going, baby. I'm all about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm down. <laughs> No, I'm not. I want days off work. Let me get the flu one time here. I get sick every year. Just let me have my days off. It's a good and point. I feel like I, I'm just dancing around COVID right now. Everyone yeah, around here. me has them. Just see ya. Yep. Yep. You have it too. Cool. I'm just, for some reason, I just scouts. keep avoiding it all. Could well, be immune. You could always use PTO, by the way, if you want a day off. Just a suggestion. You know what? I have the next two days off. Oh, I am good. using, it's my fifth and sixth days of the year off. So we're using number five and six of my 15 days for the end of the year. There you go. Yeah. I'm actually off all this week as well. Fun, uh, fun vacation <laughs> of the, the winter meetings at home. <laughs> Just sitting here doing nothing. No, like Tyler. And as you mentioned with our, you know, my trip, I should say to Pittsburgh, cause I had to actually really travel. That was the first time I used vacation this year, which was just one day. Cause the weekend trip that I went, and I haven't taken another vacation day since then. Um, it was the middle of November, sometime in November, maybe early part of November. I took a few days. See, so yeah, this is like this week is like my first vacation I used all all year too. Because like, what am I gonna do? I take off, and I'm just gonna do what I'm doing right now, anyways. I'm at home, just not working. So I'm gonna have a lot to carry over next year. So I better things better open up. I want to get another bar crawl <laughs> and use this time. I don't know if February is going to work this year, but maybe we could be optimistic and say May or June and most people are vaccinated and it's, uh, you know, outdoor season. So we can spread out a little bit more like that because just, yeah, indoors right now, I don't know how anybody's gathering for anything indoors. I'm afraid to go to the store. So it's, right. uh, it's tough with the numbers spiking the way they are. 
Let's have an MLB trade deadline bar crawl. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. There you go. We should be I'm safe by uh, July 31st, which I'm assuming that'll be the, the day again. Right. I'm down. I keep telling Denario that I'm planning on going down to Florida to for like spring training or something. Thankfully, I wasn't going to go this year, but I'll tell him I was, and then we'll just push it off another year, like I have been doing for three years. Right. Yeah, today I was starting to uh, fantasize about spring, and I was thinking, I wonder if they're going to have fans in the stands at, at spring training games, what the deal is going to be. <laughs> we just have to get through this winter, though. Um, <laughs> and then maybe they can make a call later on, because I don't know how you make a call now. That seems impossible. No. It really does suck, like waking up on Saturday or Sunday, looking forward to a football game. And having to roll over, and the first thing is check Twitter, make sure they're playing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing the, the NFL. Well, I should say it's like amazing you. the NFL has gotten to this point because they're just plowing through everything, as we saw with yeah. Steelers Ravens. <laughs> if they didn't cancel that game, they're not going to cancel anything at this point. No, they're... so uh, I, I'm not. Uh, I, I feel like abundance of caution has been thrown out the window by by the league. But again, at least they're playing outside, and there are now no fans allowed here in Pittsburgh, at least. So. Feel better about that aspect of it. Well, well, let's jump into a little bit here. So, like I mentioned, you know, um, off this week, this week is the winter meetings. Um, a little bit different. I mean, Matt, I know you've you've attended. Was it just one, or did you attend more than one? I went to two. I was at the uh, 2015 winter meetings in Nashville, and then 2016 in Washington. Uh, it was Washington that I, that I met you guys um, yeah. at the uh, the bar. I forget what the restaurant was, that little complex down there. Um, geez, the lakefront or waterfront, riverfront, something like that. But that was the Kutch Winter Meetings uh, rumor oh, fest. <laughs> Year before he got traded, of course. But yeah, that's how that one was defined. And, and 2015 was fun just to be in the midst of all of it. It was, uh, it was quite overwhelming for someone like me, who was, I think, just three or four months onto the beat at that point and just trying to keep up. And, uh, the big news there of course, uh, was, uh, I think what Pedro Alvarez was non-tendered just before that. And then Neil Walker was traded for John Neese. And uh, we know how that one turned out. Well, you had some fun at those two winter meetings, huh? <laughs> Are you yeah. a little bit bitter that you didn't get to go to like when the pirates had the little window that you weren't part of those winter meetings? Well, um, yeah, I guess I was there for the start of the, t- the teardown, if you Damn. will, uh, because I did get to cover the wild card game in 2015 and uh, short lived as that was. It was very exciting to be there at packed PNC Park, 40,000 fans and um, thinking that for no there's no reason to think at that point that they were going to fall off so precipitously. But I didn't know what they were going to do that off season, which ended up being next to nothing. So, uh, yeah, I did do have a little bit of uh, regret there, but. Um, honestly, I just wanted to be in the arena, so to speak. It was it was a lot of fun. I, I'll, I'll say that much. It was uh, definitely something to check off the bucket list and and say that I always got a chance to cover a couple of winter meetings and the rumor mill and all that. I was never a big hot stove guy growing up. I liked the games more so than the intrigue in the off season and that sort of thing. But once I got on the beat, obviously it's it's quite uh, it's quite a big part of the job. And I think I started to get intoxicated by it, talking to agents, getting all the scuttlebutt and the rumors that uh, that became quite enjoyable a good way to keep warm through the winter i'll say speaking of the hot stove so in 20 what was it 2016 they brought back sean rodriguez were you a little bit upset that you no longer had the best man bun in the clubhouse 
Uh, well, I think it was pretty close between the two of us. Uh, Sean definitely had longer hair than I did. He had, he had just uh, a tremendous mane. <laughs> and actually, Sean was one of my favorite guys to talk to in the, the clubhouse. Very soft-spoken, which was um, in contrast to his personality, which can be very fiery, as we've seen a few times. Mm. Uh, one of these guys who kind of, uh, you know, still waters run deep sort of, uh, sort of personality there. Uh, but hey, um, I was never going to top him for looks. He's quite the handsome dude as well. So I guess I'll, I, I had to uh, just concede the whole thing to him. <laughs> yes, Sean Rodriguez or Logan Paul? Who are you thinking? <laughs> I barely know who Logan Paul is, man. I got to be honest with you. I've disconnected from the pop culture scene, unless uh, it's on Nick Jr. or something. I don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite sure he's on uh, Nick Jr., but uh, I don't think I'm, so. I don't I'm think still so. wildly confused by that 2016 season by Sean Rodriguez. I don't understand how he did what he did. I don't think I've ever seen a man hit a baseball as far as he did that when he put it on the, what do we call the swirly thing anymore it's the been so long since I've been to the park yes it's been so the long since i've been to a park <laughs> i couldn't thing. even think of the name of it that's the how renegades are coming after you tyler i know i was thinking renegades what what do we call it the Crap. renegades of the swirly but like <laughs> i think matt actually had a quote at one point where i think you asked him about it and you said you've never seen someone hit a ball like that and he said thank you yes that does sound right um i was there for that one i was I was actually uh, quite, um, I was quite impressed by the the end of the season. He just got on that run where every ball he hit was hard, and I just think it was one of those streaks. The guy has always been strong, and whenever he did connect with one, it, it tended to fly. So I'm not sure it's anything beyond maybe uh, timing clicking in. Baseball is a weird game in that way, where yeah, uh, the the hot streaks and the cold streaks can be kind of inexplicable and maybe tied to pitching the way they're approaching you, and. I don't suspect anything nefarious. You always hear the, the cliche is always oh, on something. He's on steroids. I don't know. He just always seemed like a guy who could have had a, a season like 2016 before, but just didn't. And there's some random chance there. There's some confidence. And I think he was getting a lot of playing time too, by the end of the 2016 season. So that helps, right? You get into a groove and, and you don't get out of it as much uh, as you normally do. If you're Sean Rodriguez and you're playing every third day or every fourth day and, and just and shitting in between. Yeah, I don't think anyone really wants to hear me talk about the 2016 season, but like, <laughs> but we are. Watching, I mean, it's not like I the know, 2017, but, 18, or 19 or 20 right. are any better. So, <laughs> yeah. But when you look back, it's like, yeah, yeah, they underperformed based upon previous years, but somehow they were still competitive because they had guys like Sean Rodriguez and Matt Joyce carry them. And I, that year is one of the strangest years I think I can remember, other than. I mean, maybe a few years were in the early 2000s that Brian Giles and Jason Kendall just went off for a few months and then they fell back to mediocrity. Well, that 2016 team uh, had a really good offense, as as you allude to. Yeah. And I love watching and that. that was Joyce without hit, too. Yeah, he was, uh, he was, he was a professional hitter. He was, yeah, he wasn't great that year. So, yeah, right. It could have been even better. And it was just a complete lack of pitching, lack of starting pitching. I forget how many pitchers they use. I know they've beaten that record in season since 2019 was a complete disaster there as well. And this past year, I don't even count this past year. They weren't trying to win. It was obvious from the start and Hey, mission accomplished there. So, um, uh, you know, it could be worse for the pirates right now. They could have gotten screwed out of that number one pick, but other than that, it does feel pretty close to rock bottom at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> sure. 
Give it a few more days, though. The meetings aren't over yet. I'd rather be at rock bottom than in mediocrity. True. Yeah, I I would, too. I think that's the lesson we all learned, at least the lesson I learned in uh, the previous decade, in the 2000s, because they kept hanging around 75, 70 wins, and they would tease you for a bit. There was a 2004 season when uh, I was just out of high school, and I remember that being a really fun season, too. That was a team that could hit, uh, definitely. You alluded to to Giles and Kendall. I I think that was uh, post-Giles. Yeah, it was. It was a Jason Bay rookie year. So um, they were transitioning in that way, but um, the, the closest they ever got to contending was, I think, 500 in early June. So <laughs> even then, it, it still wasn't that good. So, uh, but then again, there's no guarantee when you do fall to rock bottom that you're able, able to rebuild it. So uh, maybe in some sense, we're a little um, not <laughs> deceived, but I think the way that it happened under Neil Huntington was about the best way it could happen for a team in their situation, in their market, and uh, with an owner who's not willing to deficit spend. So in a lot of ways, it went perfectly until the playoffs, at least for the 13 through 15 Pirates. So, I mean, you talk about Sean Rodriguez. Who was your favorite player to talk to, maybe, on this year? Or what interesting story do you have of, of a certain player? Um, I think all the younger pitchers have been great. I've been in the clubhouse for a couple of years now. Uh, we'll see if that changes for 2021, if I get any freelance gigs or, or what have you. But Jamison Tyon, maybe the most uh, cerebral guy I've ever talked to, very down to earth. I love talking to Trevor Williams, so he'll be missed if I do get a chance to cover the team again this year. Uh, Steven Brault's a lot of fun. Chad Cool, very intense, but you get him away from his starts and he can be very introspective. So I just like that whole group, that class of, I suppose, 2016 when they all came up uh, that year. That was a fun group to get to know as far as uh, also Garrett Cole. I want to throw him in too, because talk about smart. He can remember every pitch of every at bat after a start. I was just so impressed by that. And, and uh, so, uh, and I also be a bad thing. Yeah, it could be, I don't know, but I developed an affinity for him. I, I was rooting for him to succeed in Pittsburgh. And I I really enjoyed seeing him succeed when he's gotten um, the ability to just let it loose and, and unleash that stuff. So yeah, pitchers typically, uh, and then you go into guys, um, as far as the position players are concerned, Chris Stewart, I think, was uh, the, the best guy to talk to for insight on not just the pitching staff, but just in general. I think he was the eldest uh, player on that team when I was covering it, or pretty close. So um, he was, uh, I, I like the intelligent guys. I like the guys who give you a little more than you expect, um, obviously, from our, our perspective as journalists. you uh, you're looking for different angles. A lot of times I just went into the clubhouse without an angle and I wanted to see what they told me. And then you riff off of that. Uh, Josh Harrison, really, really great. Um, as far as telling you what's really going on out there, Josh Bell, uh, again, um, plenty of insight coming from him on hitting, uh, maybe along the lines of Garrett Cole, maybe a little too smart and remembering everything and trying to adjust and constantly tinker, but that made for a great interview. I'll say that much. So, uh, yeah, a lot of guys, uh, in that clubhouse were, were good. Um, even some of the, the guys who weren't um, terrific with English, like Gregory Polanco, he was always friendly and he was always trying to, uh, to, to give you something and to, uh, to help you do your job. So um, at the Pirates clubhouse, I, I came across very few guys I ever really avoided. And most of those guys were relief pitchers who were kind of either standoffish. I always found like Antonio Bastardo to be not very good to talk to, <laughs> but you really talk to him. So um, the, the one God. 
frustrating part for me was I always wanted to talk to Francisco Cervelli because catchers are great to, to chat with. And he would always be getting treatment after the, after the game. And I'd be like, am I going to hang around here for another 10 minutes? And I just want to go up and write this thing and go home. So uh, that was always the thing to see if you could wait out Cervelli. That was the biggest challenge on the Pirates beat because he was, he was outstanding, as you well know. So on that end, did you get the sense that some of the guys, maybe particularly younger guys who were more cerebral, kind of had an affinity towards you because you're more, you're more of the analytical end. And I feel like in the clubhouse of the reporters, you're probably on the cutting edge more than some of the regular Pirates journalists. So well, I, tried, like they were, I tried to be, um, they were I tried to mix in. And... Yeah. Well, at the, t- the time I took over in 2015, Travis Sawchick was still on the beat full time. Yeah. So um, yeah, I talk about a guy to take your cues from and, sure. and, uh, <laughs> and try to emulate. I always try to meld what I was seeing because I wanted to make sure to give uh, the readers uh, and the viewers, if we did a video or the listeners, if we did a podcast, I just wanted to give more of the insight that I was seeing from a day-to-day basis, um, as opposed to just the analytics, which you could get from anything. In fact, I tried to use uh, what I saw to inform the analytical questions that I was asking um, both the players and also asking myself when I wrote the story. So, um, yeah, I just tried to be uh, as much in both worlds as I could and and talk about pitch grips, excuse right. me, talk about pitch usage, talk about, um, you know, signs and, and, um, and, and, and strategy with Clint Hurdle, why you did this, in addition to um, exit velocity, in addition to, um, you know, park-adjusted uh, OBP, right. OPS, um, weighted runs created. So uh, I just try to make sure to use all the, the tools that I had at my disposal, and, and now there's even more. So if I ever got back into a position like that, um, there, there's even more you can dig into, which can be a gift and a curse because a lot of times I'd want to cover every angle, but it's baseball. You're there every day. So I think it's best to fight that temptation and just hone in on one thing per day, as opposed to try to update on, on, on every aspect of, of every position of, of every part of the sport. That was my great temptation was to do too much. And I think eventually in the 2016 season, I learned how to pace myself a little better. And in particular, once the team fell out of contention, that was a a blessing for me because then I could really stretch my legs and, and try to find something because when a team's winning and I found this on the, the Penguins beat as well, when a team's winning, it's, it's pretty easy to find the stories and uh, there's a lot of good stories. Guys are happier. Uh, you got to try harder. You have to work harder when a team's losing to both uh, attract the interest of the reader, but also to, um, to get good stuff out of the players who aren't as excited about talking about uh, losing and failing <laughs> as, as all of us could relate to, I'm sure. Yeah, and I just looking looking at it from a report, put myself in your shoes, where these guys are answering questions about how's it feel when you hit that three run home run, whatever it was. And you know, we in Pittsburgh, you have a lot of older school guys that the story's a story. They're not digging much deeper into it, and when they're losing, it's going to be a baseline type deal. In your shoes, it was more of a, let me give the reader a little bit more. Well, of course, I was working as well for a subscription site in DK Pittsburgh right. Sports. And then I, I wrote for Pirates Prospects, too. So, um, yeah, there, I felt like there was more of an onus to go much deeper uh, than the usual. And I, I respect, you know, uh, uh, guys who 
uh, have to cover the the news and have to write the recaps pretty straight edged. Um, I, I respect what they're trying to do too, because um, I was like a good recap anyway. But I think these days you have to provide some extra value, especially if you're you're charging for the site. So that was the pressure that I felt, and that's why I wanted to go find some new fresh angle. I think every reporter wants to find that, but certain reporters are in different scenarios and work for different uh, organizations and, and outlets, obviously, that want different things. So I think I was actually in a privileged spot getting into a major league beat for the first time because I could I could feel my way in. I didn't have to ask the obvious question. I hate asking the obvious question, man. I just, I hate asking the dumb questions. I hate asking how does it feel um, because that doesn't do anything for me, really. Um, now, it might be an interesting quote that you get from asking the quote-unquote dumb or obvious question, which I eventually learned. Uh, but at the same time, I always default toward trying to find something that might make the, the player like perk up and say, oh, that's, that's new. That's always what I wanted to inspire in them was to feel like, oh, this is a, an answer I haven't given before, maybe even a question I hadn't considered at all. So uh, that was, those were the wins for me as, as a journalist. And a lot of times... The, the writing, I always felt like before I got into the job, the, the writing was the big deal. It really wasn't because it was more the asking and the, and the answers that you got that dictated how you wrote it. And um, as I continued to do the job and as I continued to work in media, I, I, I more want to be a conduit as opposed to someone who's opining or providing my own spin or, or my own signature on it. That's going to come naturally, I think. Um, so I'm, I'm always just trying to be, when I'm in a journalistic position, I just want to relay that information as cleanly and clearly and concisely as possible. So, so clearly you made sure that the questions you asked were Bryce Harper approved. Not clown <laughs> questions. No. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> so, and, and I kind of how Tyler mentioned, you know, you being more cutting edge. Cause I, I agree, you know, there's some people who've taken some time and I mean, that's natural, obviously. I mean, baseball in itself has taken some time to really get on the analytics and such. But I think we were at a point in time right now where there's a good amount of analytics. I think a good amount of people that kind of understand it. Um, and, and I think right now we're at a point too, where there's kind of like a battle, like, are we too far with analytics? You know, is it making too much of the game? Um, what am I trying to say here? Not so much pressure, but is it taking away too much of the game? Are we too invested in analytics? So maybe now with you, like, kind of going up at the same point you know you've been in the analytics you're seeing the game evolve do you feel right now analytics is hindering the game a little bit or do you think it's a it's used as a fine measuring stick you know both sides are done properly well this isn't an original thought but i think some of the analytical insights that teams have gotten and they've tailored their teams toward have detracted from the entertainment value of the game and you've seen voices as prominent as tom Berducci and ken rosenthal uh, write about this and talk about this, that uh, fewer balls in play isn't good for the entertainment value of the product. And I agree, whether you're in person or watching on TV, I think on TV, it's not as drastic. I, I can't tell sometimes if uh, players are striking out more than they have or uh, the ball isn't as play isn't in play as much as it used to be. But when I'm at the game, I really do notice that. So if you're if you're worried about the gate and attendance, and we'll see how many people can attend MLB games in 2021. But I still love to go to the games, and uh, I knew that in recent years I just found my attention drifting more than ever before. And uh, perhaps that's just the internet warping my brain, <laughs> warping all of our brains, and and, uh, and taken away from just the 
the way you used to be able to marinate in a game. I feel like my uh, my brain isn't tailored for that anymore. So part of that's on me. Part of that's on just modern culture. Uh, but also, if you go back and watch, um, I watched the highlights, or I think it was like a condensed game, or at least it felt like a condensed game. The 71 World Series Game 7, Steve Blass, uh, obviously the, the complete game. Um, the pitchers were getting the ball back from the catcher one second to look at the sign, and then they were throwing it right back. It was uh, <laughs> it was incredible. It's like, oh, this is what baseball could be like, where it's not so much deliberation between pitches, and the batter's not stepping out every time. So I think a lot of um, a lot of that dead time could be alleviated by baseball just enforcing pace of play and uh, and and umpires, especially being empowered to do so. But to get back to your original question about analytics, uh, I, I think for me, it's actually added to my appreciation and understanding of the game to say. Oh, Garrett Cole's spin rate on his on his uh, four seam fastball is higher than most. That's why guys can't uh, get on top of it because it just rides high in the zone. That part of it has been so illuminating to me. The stat cast stuff is is still very interesting, uh, even though uh, does it really make a difference if the home run was hit at 110 miles an hour or 105? I'm not sure, but it, the descriptive stats have have added to the storytelling of the game. In addition to the analytical predictive stats which I think we all use whether we're playing fantasy or whether we just want to know how the team's going to do or how a player's going to do in the near future and whether it's fool's gold now or whether the slump is, is, uh, is ready to be broken. So all that stuff is so fascinating to me. I think in, in some ways, ironically, despite what I was saying at the start about the pace of the play of baseball, I think baseball's uh, just deluge of information is uh, right in line with the way that society works today where all of us are used to uh, being uh, covered with information and being able to find any number we want, any bit of info that we want at our fingertips at all times. So in some ways, baseball is perfectly positioned for that. In other ways, I think it's, uh, it's, it's going the opposite way where it can't keep people's attention long enough for them to be interested enough to, to get into the, uh, the analytics of it. So baseball's at a crossroads here. And I, 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 I wish that they could figure out a way to make significant progress on pace of play because if these games were two hours as opposed to three, I think you get a lot more people checking it out and maybe staying engaged for longer periods of time during a game. Yeah. And I think you see some people of maybe my generation that are the uh, sabermetric type that they're watching a game on Statcast and not on TV. Hmm. Yeah. Like they, they are literally on MLB Statcast watching that way rather than the actual game. And I'm more of the type that I've, I guess when you read Moneyball 15 years ago or whenever it was, you felt like you were on the higher end of the analytics side. And now it's, it's all passed me up at this point. So now I feel like we're at a point where I get told a sabermetric. I'm like, yeah, I could have told you that guy threw hard. <laughs> Yeah, that's those are the descriptive numbers that I'm talking about. But I think it still helps to know that uh, this is why this guy is successful. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it be, like I said, whether it be spin rate, whether it be um, extension, whether it be um, if you're a hitter, number of barrels that you you rack up in a, in a certain amount of swings. So I think all that's really fun, and I think for diehards, baseball has never been better uh, in a lot of ways. But for the casual fan, if if that's if that uh, subset of fans still exists i think it's tough Hmm? the diehards it might be tough to get them over to shifts 
<laughs> See, I don't even think about the shifts anymore. It's like it's just part of the fabric yeah. of the game. I don't know. I guess, but to an extent, to some people, when you watch a ground ball go right up the middle and a second baseman feels it, just standing there, that used to be a hit in my day, or a ground ball to third base or the third baseman's playing right field. Trust me, I hear my dad talk about it all the time. It's enough for me. Well, No, I I get it, but he's still watching, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, we're Pirates fans. What are you going to do? We don't have a choice. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the point I'm making. It there's always going to be an argument, right, about whether progress is good or bad. That's just that's life, right? That's what we talk about in in society and politics and also in sports. So, um, as long as they don't lose people like your dad, he doesn't stop watching the games. Then no, he still watches when they lose because I get to hear about that too. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so th- that's the, the general point I'm making is that I, I think if you're in the game, if you're already attracted to the sport then it's stickier than ever but uh, i don't know if if it's uh as attractive to people who are just cruising around the dial that that's that's my thing and so maybe baseball becomes more of a niche sport which is okay i I follow hockey very closely and i'm used to that uh, characterization so maybe that's just my destiny to follow the sports that aren't the most mainstream like Football and basketball, I could take or leave, but baseball and hockey, I'm I'm really all in on it. Soccer too, actually, and and you could yeah, argue soccer is more mainstream than a lot of these sports now. It's way down. You bring up your terrible opinions about soccer. Yeah, I, I know like Tyler's been, been dying for this soccer talk. So I'll tell you what, I'll, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll let you I'll let you go at it again, Tyler. I see. I was waiting on the right moment because I had an old tweet about Matt talking about soccer. Why do these guys lay on the field for three minutes and why does the clock keep running? I don't get this. Why is this popular? Yeah, I, I hate the flopping too, but um, the rest of it I love. There's a lot of things. Like, I hate fighting in hockey, but uh, I still love hockey. So, Oh, see, I love that part. <laughs> That's the only part I don't like. Um, That's the best part of it. <laughs> no, we're not going to get along when it comes to that. <laughs> Jeez. So, basically, you don't like hockey. You just like boxing. Yeah, right. MMA. There's no, plenty of that I like out there. To, plenty of combat. I like to go to a boxing match and a hockey game breaks out. <laughs> Boo. I'm with Matt on this one. Although I'm not a hockey fan, yeah. but I'm on I'm with Matt on this. One. <laughs> I, I will say I did tweet at one point in this year actually. Soccer is such a dog bleep short sport. And Matt tweeted me back and said, screw off, buddy. I got buddied <laughs> by Matt. Matt buddied me. You know what buddy means? Buddy means that. Hey, hey, pal, keep calm. Boss. Yeah, it's like along those lines. That's a buddy, pal. That's the <laughs> chief. <laughs> well, I felt like, see, the thing is, Tyler, I felt like I knew you well enough online, at least, where yeah, I, I could tweet that and, uh, you know, you wouldn't uh, immediately go off. So, oh, no, reach I that level of familiarity. You know how it goes. Oh, <laughs> you I, start to feel comfortable telling people off. Oh, hold on. I'm. Denardo talk. I've I've got God. some stuff here to look at because well, while, while we're currently up. looking at something about tacos being a sandwich and Ugh. all right. So let's get past that. Yeah. That's, so, a, that's a Tim Williams on. joint there, boy. He and I it had was. some arguments when I was with Pirates prospects about what a sandwich was and wasn't. I just yeah oh, yeah. I, I will definitely fight. You know what? There. We'll just which we'll hot just dogs are hot dogs and they're not a sandwich, but we'll just, I digress. Yeah, I'm like that too. It's like, why are we doing this with the sandwich thing? Like, first of all, who cares? Second of all, why are we arguing it uh, to this, to this level, to this breaking it down? 
where you have the the strict constructionists and then you have the uh, uh, the laissez-faire perspective. How did this become a a talking point? That's right. I mean, they don't the serve internet, hot right? dogs. We have to find something to talk about. Yeah, I mean, they don't serve hot dogs at, at Subway, and they're sandwich artists. So you know. <laughs> anyway, basically, no. I got in an argument with Alan Saunders about this about tacos and everything, and Matt agreed with me, so we're okay. I'm back yeah, on Alan's side. one of those uh, laissez-faire when it comes to sandwich people. Uh, yeah. Alan but, basically said tacos, burritos, both different types of sandwiches. I said uh, no bread, no sandwich. Matt said I agree with this hardline stance. Otherwise, it gets out of control. <laughs> so me and Matt are friends again. Yeah, you have to you have to draw the line somewhere. And if, if language, if we can't agree on what these words mean, then why even have language? That's always my contention there it's, it's like the point of language is to communicate if we're calling burritos sandwiches and what are, what are we doing <laughs> i'm fully on board with you now, yeah that, that's, that's way off track of our baseball talk yeah way off track way way off track but yeah, i will so give I alan te- credit what else you guys has, want to talk about i have a tendency take. of doing this um yeah so i was gonna say i mean again like we are in the winter meeting so i want to talk to you a little bit about some you know potential moves stuff like that uh, let's get one off the board. I mean, you mentioned two guys that you enjoy talking to is Josh Bell and Jamison Tyum. <laughs> now, supposedly, there's rumors that the Yankees are, I don't know how far, they, they've spoken, they've engaged in some sort of talks uh, about Josh Bell and Jamison Tyone. So I would love your take on this. Do you think now is the moment to go ahead and pull that deal off? Or would you wait? I don't on either get, of them. And it can be separate together, however you choose. But yeah, I, I don't know if I would I wouldn't package the two together, first of all. Um for Josh Bell, I was thinking last winter was the time to trade him because uh it just felt like uh, God love him, but um like I said, he tinkers a lot, he's he's inconsistent, more streaky than most. Uh, every every hitter's streaky in baseball to some degree, but uh he's, Josh he's more than dip, most. He, and yeah. I I just wasn't sure. I was I was pretty certain that was going to be his peak in terms of number of home runs. I'll put it that way, and that still gets people's attention, even though we have uh, better ways of measuring production, obviously. But uh, you know, his slugging was through the roof. But even so, it was more like three hot months for Josh Bell, or even two hot months actually, when you really broke down the 2019 season. So if you're thinking about maximizing value, that was the time to trade him. Now it would have been a, a PR disaster, but then again. The Pirates have already already uh, alienated enough people. I don't really think there's going to be that many people who are going to jump off the bandwagon uh, because of uh, of another fan favorite being traded. Um, I think if you have someone who's a believer in Bell, I would definitely be aggressive in trying to move him. Now, when it comes to Jamison Tyone, I don't really get why you would move him because you've invested all this time and effort in getting him back to health. I would at least see what the results look like with this shortened arm stroke and the shortened stride and uh, and figure it out from there. Because I don't know what you get for Jamison Tyone, honestly, unless some team is just really over the moon about his potential still after two Tommy Johns. Um, for, for me, that's uh, diminishing returns at, at this stage of the game. But Josh Bell, I could still see some teams feeling like that uh, they could at least talk themselves into him being a, a run producer for them. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm I've, totally with you. And this one, this one really threw me aside because, you know, hearing Josh Bell's name come up, I want to be shocked at. You know, now what's the return? Is the return going to be right? I'm totally with you. Last offseason was the, the time to do it. 
You know, he had the control ability. The, the, the Pirates weren't going anywhere this year. We knew that. I don't know if Charrington was totally on board knowing that, but uh, it didn't happen. Oh, well. And I feel like with this season, it seems like everyone who had potential value lost pretty much all of it. <laughs> you know, it's like everyone <laughs> who Jacob had Stallings. any. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, I can get the fact where it's like maybe you hold on to someone to regain value. Maybe the deadline trade them or this offseason do it. But at the same point, I'm kind of worried because what if they don't ever get it back? You know, or, you know, we've we've already seen people that you hold on to and, and things happen. So, you know, with this rebuild, per se, if you want to call it a rebuild, because I know they're rebuilding, but they haven't really done a move other than Marte, you know, in the sense of a rebuild, per se. Um, you know, do you just want to accelerate it and just get what you can get now? So it was like with Bell happening, I can get it. But Tyone, I'm shocked at it. I didn't really think about it because I couldn't really fathom anyone trading for James and Tyone right now. So, like, hearing his name, it's like, it makes me wonder and think, would you almost take anything? Because I get where you're coming. I'm seeing him pitch, you know, you know what could potentially be there. But a second Tommy John, we know normally guys don't really come back from that. I, I, I don't know. Do you, as minimal as it may be, do you just say, here, let me trade Jameson Tyon if there's a, a deal worth something, some type of flyer for him? I suppose it depends on what's on the other end, as always, with these trades. That's the hard part for us speculating or, or trying to piece things together from reports is we don't know what's been offered on the other side. So it's not like I'm totally opposed to trying to um, recoup some value there in the form of a trade, but I just don't understand, I suppose, what the opposing uh, viewpoint would be, what the what the competing team's <laughs> uh, perspective on Tyon would be. Um, I don't want him to be a throw in is what I'm saying. If you're just going to throw him in, I don't feel like that's a good use of your resources, but if there is some extra sweetener, that's going to come with it. If you do include Jameson, then I do suppose you have to, uh, give it some serious consideration, but I just don't see him being a, a trade ship uh, right now. It seems odd that he's even included there, as you mentioned. Right. See, I just don't see a way where trading Jameson tie on ends well for the pirates. It's either going to be a, even deal or it's going to be a loss. I don't see the pirates winning a deal for Jameson Tyon at this point. It would have to be some prospect that has a, a big breakout or whatever. I would, I would suppose. Yeah. And I, I just don't see anyone dealing anything worth what he could be. Cause what if he comes back this year and there's no reason to trade him right now, basically. Yeah. He could build his value up big time this year, actually. Um, if he's able to, uh, pile up some innings and well you mentioned the the two-time Tommy Johns don't have the greatest track record a guy like Daniel Hudson turned out pretty well but he's a reliever right so mm-hmm. um, yeah two-time Tommy John as a starter there's a lot of question marks but if he does pitch decently this season then suddenly do have some value I just don't see the value being there right now whereas with Josh Bell he's already lost quite a bit of value last year was pretty ugly for the most part um, but I, I still think there's something uh, there even if it is going in the wrong direction. Um, in fact, you talk about trade pieces. Uh, there are many right now. Uh, that, that's the hardest part for the pirates because they, they had the, the, uh, the push with the, the 13 through 15 teams. And then you don't really get a ton from McCutcheon and Cole. So that was the, uh, that was the failure here. And so now <laughs> poor Ben Sherrington, I, I think he's got to hope for good drafts more than anything. At this point, I'm not sure trades are going to do the trick 
just considering where they are right now as a roster. Heck, maybe they can get a guy like Corey Dickerson if we're going to talk about Daniel hmm. Hudson. Yeah, right. Well, he's still banging around out there. So um, the good thing, at least right now, it was really getting stagnant at the end of the Huntington era. I'll say that much. I'm not saying that Charrington's necessarily any better than uh, than Neil, but um, at least you know there's a fresh set of eyes on this thing uh, from you know the GM on down, actually from the team president on down. So if there's one argument in favor of uh, giving the Pirates the benefit of the doubt here, it's the fact that there's just some fresh eyes on the thing so uh, and, and last year I'm willing to just say forget it that's more of a that, that was a show me type of a season for Charrington and Shelton and uh and, and the whole player evaluation uh personnel crew there so um in, in a lot of ways no harm no foul for 2020 no one was paying attention anyway <laughs> they, they lost a ton of games now we yeah. now we can roll into 2021 and I think for me this is the real start of the perhaps rebuild, perhaps build, whatever you want to call it. Did you get to, yeah. while you're on the Penguins beat, did you get to spend a little bit, if any time, with Travis Williams? I didn't. I was no, no, because um, the only guy upstairs, quote unquote, that I talked to was the general manager, Jim Rutherford. So yeah, uh, yeah, Travis was definitely more on the business side of things. And I never did a business story on on that beat i wasn't on there long enough and i believe i believe he left shortly after i started covering the penguins he went to the islanders helped them get the new uh set up with uh the 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 building they needed so um yeah i don't really know if his appointment his hiring is of any significance honestly um i'm not sure frank coonley was the problem i think he was just doing bob nutting's bidding um when it came to the business side but I think also there's a chance for new ideas and how to attract people to PNC Park once the thing is fully open and and we can get going again post pandemic. So um, you know it's not like the Pirates are doing business perfectly over there, but um, if you had to pick the the part of the uh, the organization that needed the most upheaval, it wasn't the business side; it was the yeah. baseball side. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so I want to play a little game with you here too. All right, so this isn't. I think we've been talking about the pirates, right? And we might have some ideas what the pirates might do. But you know what? Let's play Matt Charrington. All right, you are the GM of the pirates right now. So forget Ben, forget the pirate ways. I want to see what you would want to do. All right. So the first thing I want to ask you, and maybe we've alluded to this a little bit here, but with the plan being that there's no DH in 2021, all right. How are you utilizing the combo of Josh Bell, Colm Rand, and Gabrian Hayes? And if you do intend to trade any, who would it be and why? Um, I would try my darndest to, to trade Josh Bell because I think um, out of that group, he doesn't have the most value. Cabrian Hayes obviously has the most value there, but he's also uh, part of your next winning team, I would hope. So, uh, yeah, Hayes for me is, uh, is a key cog. Um, that's no groundbreaking <laughs> insight here, but, uh, borderline untouchable for me. I, I just love what I saw and, um, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled with, with his first go around in the major leagues and call Moran. I'm actually higher on him now that I saw him play first base last year and, uh, saw a different option, uh, in, in terms of where you could deploy him and he didn't have a bad season. Now, I think he's just not flashy, and I think that that tends to make people 
um, underestimate him. But I think he could be a, a decent piece of a, of a pretty good major league lineup. He's not going to be your big uh, run producer, but I, I think that um, what we saw last year was pretty encouraging for Colin Moran. So I'd like to keep him around too. I, I would say that um, and now if, if, if you're saying all three are going to be around this year, then um, I would give Colin Moran more, more at-bats than he got, uh, uh, than he would get last year, or than he would get this year. I mean, if you were, if you were like asking an outside person, does Josh Bell play more? Or does Colin Moran play more? They would say Josh Bell, but they haven't watched him as closely as we have, I think. And um, I'm, I'm pretty scared actually about the, the future for Bell. I uh, hope I'm wrong, but um, I just felt like Moran was steadier. So, uh, and defensively much steadier, much uh, wow. more competent over there too. I know it's first base, but um, it was, it was pretty ugly at times still. I'm not sure Bell's ever going to, um, fully grasp that uh, that defensive position or any defensive position for that matter. See, I I would now if we're talking about all three being on the team, Colin Moran's the one that has to go, in my opinion, just because I think you have to see what you have with Josh Bell and find out if we can get any trade value for him. But that's just because the Pirates are in the position they are, where Josh Bell, if he can somehow by some miracle bounce back. He's worth far more than Colin Moran at his ceiling. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. That um, that he could be the the high the higher upside of the two. I don't really see Moran going too far up or too far below, uh, really where he was last year. But if you're talking about upside, sure, I, I still see it. It could happen with with Bell. Um, we've talked about his intelligence here a few times, and he could figure it out. He could. Um, find um, maybe something he could stick to a little bit longer and and get into that groove he's obviously a talented guy too um, and we've seen it he's downright scary when he's on so you can't say that about Colin Moran to this point so I understand where you're coming from there and then you have to go too deep on this but the 2020 version of Colin Moran you're more of a believer of that then going forward yeah yeah I was I was very okay with what I saw from him in 2020 so uh, one of the few bright spots actually in that lineup because you had guys like Reynolds and Bell just tanking. Um, Cole Tucker doesn't look like he's going to be a competent major league hitter. So there were a lot of disappointments, uh, to be honest, for the Pirates. But Colin Moran wasn't one of them. He ended up being a pretty decent bright spot by the end of it. I know he was hot hitting home runs early, then he tailed off in terms of that. But the uh, the body of work, even though it's just 60 games, the, the body of work I, I thought was good. Right. Like it. All right. Next question. Is Adam Frazier a bucko on opening day? I'm going to say no. I, I think, uh, I think Ben's getting a little bit um, trigger happy here. I think he wants to make some more moves and uh, put his own stamp on this team. And there is a guy with some value too, and Adam Frazier positionally flexible, at least in theory, uh, better <laughs> at some places than others, but you can say the same for a lot of utility guys too. And he has good bat-to-ball skill, so th- there's something you could leverage there. Um, and, and I think that um, he's not someone that, that you certainly need to see anymore uh, as well. I think you know what you have in Adam Frazier. Yeah, I'm with you. I think he's the guy that – he's not part of uh, the next Pirates contending team, so get what you can for him and see what else you have. Yeah, I'm not sure what his uh, – club control status is. I don't know how many years he has. I don't know off the top of my head. Could be a couple, um, it seems like, at this point. He got called up in 16. Uh, so, yeah, it could be right around there. 
You're making me want to look it up right now, just because. Well, yeah, me too. Now I'm yeah, going to do it. <laughs> I would have uh, so Free agent in 2023. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. He's got a lot longer than I thought. So he's got yeah, some so years. two more years. Um, all right. So what do you project to see from Gregory Polanco in 2021? <laughs> 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 the the yeah. magic question you probably get asked every single year. Uh, it's the question I ask myself every night um, <laughs> during the season. So... Uh, I think I'm a little bit higher on him than most just because some of the underlying numbers, some of the stat cast stuff, uh, the baseball savant type of things. Uh, it showed a guy who, when he put the bat on the ball, it was still traveling. It's not like he forgot how to hit for power or anything. He had the COVID, obviously, at the start of the season, too. So that didn't help. But he's also a guy who it seems like he has an excuse every year as well. So I'm cognizant of that. I realize that at a certain point, you just have to deliver. It doesn't matter what the potential is. It doesn't matter what you have in a small sample size. It doesn't matter what you have even underlying numbers wise, because um, there's got to be a point where that turns into production. Now, when we've seen him healthy and fully engaged, what the second half of 2018, uh, spectacular, really 2019 was a lost cause 2020. There were moments that, that showed you that the ability is still in there. So he's still young enough where he's not going to fall off a cliff 29 years old, but, uh, that's not 35. So um, I think we'll see 35? better from him in 2021. Um, but uh, you look at last year, so much swing and miss. That's the terrifying part of it for me was he was never that much of a swing and miss guy until last year. I'm not sure what the explanation was uh, or what, but um, even though he had a, a pretty high percentage of, of uh, barrel contact, hard contact, there were still moments where he looked completely lost and not even close. So maybe it was a, a conscious decision on his part to just sell out for certain pitches and try to hit them harder. If that's the case, it really didn't work out on the balance, right? Uh, he turned out to be a, a negative war player last year. I'm just looking it up right now. He was minus 1.2. So uh, I never thought we would see a season like that from him shy of his 40th <laughs> birthday. So uh Difficult to pre- predict or project, but I almost feel like if you're the Pirates, you have to roll him back out there because if he does tap into it, then you have uh, you have a gem on your hands still. Yeah, they're in a position where it's a guy like Polanco and Bell. You almost have to just roll them out there and see what you have. It's the only way you're going to get a trade yeah. piece out of it. Yeah, right. Down the road or, uh, heaven forbid, they uh, actually are ahead of their pace and they can contend at some point in the near future, then you – you do have those guys with you as well. So either way, right, if you trade him or you play him, then uh, I still think you have to or, or you should hang on to them and, and see what they can give you in a full season in 2021. I feel I like feel the Pirates like- have a, a few of those guys that are like, they're going to trade them, and I am all aboard of it, but they're going to break out and make us look like idiots. <laughs> I feel you, and I don't think it makes the trade in itself wrong. I mean, they, they have to, and it's not the it's not Charrington's fault that everyone's value plummeted this year, um, or steadily too. So I'm mean, I definitely get what you're saying there, Tyler. And I, it will I, happen. I, and you and look Pirates like Twitter is going to blow up, and we'll hear it on Fox, you know, in playoff time about how yeah. well these used to be ex Pirates back in the day. I oh, feel like boy, it was a rough postseason like, for that, wasn't it? Oh man, right. <laughs> Last two postseasons, actually. Yeah, they're not stopping anytime soon. They're they're everywhere. The Charlie Morton one still makes me sad because the the, the Pirates, in some ways, made him who he was. And then 
Um, I guess there were diminishing returns with uh, with that style of pitching, and he wasn't very durable. He'd always miss a handful of starts every year. And then you trade him to the Phillies, he tears his hamstrings, so then you're vindicated maybe for a bit. But uh, then he's unleashed like Garrett Cole in terms of using his breaking pitches, uh, just throwing max effort, and you just you, you think, wow, um, that should have been in Pittsburgh. Even uh, you look at Garrett Cole, maybe he was always destined to be traded, but Charlie Morton wasn't destined to be traded. He could have been one of those guys you got value from beyond uh, beyond his contract. Uh, even you could argue being paid, what was it, $15 million last year, he was uh, worth more than that. So that's the one that that kept stinging for me because Charlie Morton should have been a pirate, in my opinion. They should have found a way to get that out of him because they already had um, they'd already found a way with him before. They realized he was malleable. It's just they were stubborn in their ways, and a lot of that falls on Ray Seriage, I suppose. You know what I'm waiting for? Charlie Morton to go from ground chuck to this Charlie Morton. And then when everyone figures out, we got to go back to the ground ball because everyone's in the fly ball home runs. He's going to go back to ground chuck and be an ace. His stuff, it's always amazing watching. I would watch in the playoffs and I'm like, man, his stuff moves a lot. It's just the fastball is tailing eight, 10 inches sometimes. Uh Uh, That was part of the problem for him early on, you'll remember, because he was so wild. Uh, and and eventually he figured out, I'm just going to aim for the middle of the plate and it's not going to end up there anyway. So, <laughs> um, And then he couldn't get out lefties. And then yes, someone right. was like, hey, throw the curveball more into the lefty. Yep. And they can't hit it. Funny it thing about those about- uh, curveballs, it's just, it's amazing how what's old in baseball is new again. And, and you're joking about the ground chuck thing, but maybe not because maybe, maybe in uh, five years or so, 10 years, yeah, it's we're back to back. that as, as in vogue in baseball. I mean, at some point, people are going to look at this and go, Fly balls are the error we're in right now. Let's try to put the ball on the ground. To an extent, they might. there might be a slight correction there, but for me, it's just so indisputable that it's better to hit a fly ball than a ground yeah. ball. It is, but I think if – I don't know. Maybe if you – my opinion is you get – the Pirates went too far with it where they tried to make everyone a ground ball pitcher where they're fitting – square pegs and round holes. Yeah. If they get guys that actually have good sinker balls and not try to make Garrett cool, a ground ball pitcher, but you get guys that can actually get the ball on the ground. That might be the next wave. That's just where I'm at with it. Well, to your dad's point, if uh, they end up banning shifts, then the ground ball picks up in value (laughs) again, doesn't it? In theory, it does. Well, it does. Yeah. If you can only put two guys on either side of second base, then it picks up, um, but it's also, I mean, you can't hit a home run on the ground. Yeah, no. exactly. I, like I said, I would still rather launch it <laughs> if I had my druthers. Uh, but there, there could be a, a swing back. There always is a swing back, right? Well, you could argue we're at yeah. the extreme end of the fly ball pendulum right now. So it's not going to always be like this. I don't think so, at least. Well, that's why we joked about last one. And we were talking about ways to change the game and make it better. And, you know, when we're being like, they're talking about changing the shift, right? regulating the shift in some sense so it's like if that happens and maybe you're looking at to more contact hitters you know and, and the contact hitters the new evolution going back full circle like tyler's kind of saying here and yeah who knows um but no i was gonna say about you know charlie morton too the fact that it was real funny about that was like when as you mentioned he got traded for virtually nothing to the phillies and then he gets injured and then houston gave him in my eyes and i think a lot of people like this ridiculous contract like what what is Houston seeing in this? And man, like we should have been aware 
why is Houston doing this and what that started. Wow. I love when Charlie Burt was just like, yeah, I decided to throw harder. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, uh, that, yeah. that really hurt. Yeah. When he said that, it's just that simple. <laughs> oh, okay. Man. And it's not just that simple. He added uh, many more curveballs to his, uh, to his typical palate <laughs> in a, in a given game, but he always threw his curveball anyway. It's not like he didn't uh-huh. throw it at all. So um, just goes to show you, it doesn't take that much of an adjustment sometimes. So on the, the pitcher spectrum here, so the next question I'm going to ask you, all right, so heading into 2021, who are you looking to run with the closer role? Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> I haven't thought about closer. I, I don't really think about <laughs> bullpen with where they are right now, but, um, gee, well, they brought Kella back, right? No, he's still no? out there. Okay. Well, then it really is wide open, isn't it? Um, I think it's Kyle Crick and that's about it. Yeah. And Crick's fine. I'm just not. Get his like moments. Him, and, I mean, he is what he is. Yeah. Yeah. They're not going to win many games. So what's the matter? I think he's better than what he showed last year, um, but he didn't pitch very much last year. So um, in terms of his uh, major league body of work, uh not bad, right? I'm looking at it right now. Um, whip of about 1.3, FIP of about 4.2. Um, strikeout rate, pretty decent for a, for a reliever. So I guess why not? And he has maybe the most experience in that in that bullpen. Kind of scary to say right now, but I think he does. So uh, yeah, bullpen's not a huge concern for me. If I'm Ben Sherrington, I'm not really worried about it too much um, either. If it develops, it develops. And as we know, we've seen guys run hot and cold. Richard Rodriguez, uh, chief among them, uh, from from the best to the worst to maybe not the best, but um, definitely productive again at, at points last year. So uh, that's one where I almost throw my hands up. I don't know enough about the pitchers and their individual psyches to say who might handle a, a role like that better than than the other guy. I think it's one of those just throw it at the wall, see what sticks, and see what we can trade. That's the way I look at relievers. Yeah, right. You try to flip them if you can, if you're in the Pirates position. Find out who's good, move them up, trade them. Just <laughs> good luck finding who's good right now. <laughs> I mean, it's relievers. If there's one thing to give Neil Huntington credit for, the guy yeah. found that bullpen every year. And if I were Neil Huntington looking back, he should have been a reliever factory. Just wheel and deal them. Although we're in a different time where guys aren't overpaying for relievers. Yeah, I, I think there was that sweet spot there where you could move them for a significant value. I'm not sure that's the case anymore. Um, most teams are are wise to it, if not all teams are, are wise to the fact that it's not a, a good idea uh, in general, although there are certain situations, if you're weak at that position, you're going into the postseason. Yeah, you got to short up because relievers for as uh, insignificant as it feels like at this point for the Pirates to talk about relief pitching. When you're a good team, it matters a heck of a lot more. So uh, uh, the, the leverage index just dictates that. That's just how the, the position is. All right. Um, so two more questions here. 
Um, so really with only it's crazy to think about, but really only about four outfielders on the team right now. In your mind, and I know what you said about his hitting ability, but in your mind, is Cole Tucker gonna be an outfielder? Is he gonna be a shortstop or is he gonna be like this utility role? I'd wager on utility. I think he displayed just enough uh, in the outfield last year to make you squint and say, okay, he could, he could play around the, the diamond a bit. Um, he's still a great athlete. I just, from what I've seen at the plate, there's just nothing there, honestly. Uh, uh, so his value is going to be limited. Um, but I think we do see more of him in the outfield coming up. Um, could just be because of the lack of options right now in the outfield. You look at their 40 man roster. There's just four outfielders on it. Total. Um, not counting in Cole Tucker, Alfred Oliva, Polanco, and Reynolds. So uh, just judging by that alone, you'd have to say he's going to get a little more time at that spot, assuming he starts the season in the majors and, and is, uh, is on that bench. This team sucks to talk about. <laughs> I know, I'm looking at it right now. Hey, I, you know what I'm excited about is uh, Eric Gonzalez. I'm glad I pulled up the, uh, the 40 man because I still think there's something there with him. You know, uh, I was going to bring him up too. You're talking about, you know, stack cast and such. And I mean, Colm Moran is part of it. I mean, that's why I'm a little more of a believer to him last year was seeing what he was doing. I mean, he was killing the ball last year, but it was like Aaron Gonzalez was doing that to an extent as well. I mean, early on, like the numbers weren't showing, like his average was bad, but he was just annihilating the ball. But then things normalized and then they really normalized and he ends up being a worse which is weird because we're talking about Eric Gonzalez all year about how he's really hitting the ball harder, but he ends up being a worse offensive player last year than he was the year before in terms of like WRC plus. Oh yeah. Um, so it's like, well, yeah, I'm like, what, some of it's bad Eric luck. Gonzalez it's a 60 game sample too. So um, in the smaller samples, I tend to look more at the granular data, the, the underlying stuff, just because that, that tells you more about where a guy is at. I was encouraged by the fact he wasn't swinging as much um, at junk. He was, better uh in the area of discipline at least for a bit i know that's notoriously hard to improve at the major league level or heck even as a a minor leaguer it's hard to get much better at discipline but i thought those strides that were that were made was enough to convince me to take a flyer on for 2021 so i was happy the pirates did that Mm. well you and ben apparently yeah right we're on the same page so i'm happy about that the only people i care about is phil levens and cabranes right now is it crazy? Oh, again, we forgot about yeah. Philip Evans. We always not, forget Phil my Evans. My first question about Bell Moran Hayes, I had, technically I had, need to throw Evans in there too. Jeez. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's crazy how much of a logjam we have like in the infield. <laughs> <laughs> Man, this team is terrible, but a you know, like, of but you have a logjam to maybe not suck players, right? And Philip uh, Evans is 28, so he's got to do something here soon. Yeah. I mean, I don't really trust it. He had like, what was it, like 28 plate appearances or something. But, but man, were those 28 plate appearances great. He still was like third in war, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was such a sad year. It was oh, really man. bad. And it was really sad seeing him go down, too. Like the one bright spot, you know, like watching this team. You know, you're forced to watch this team. It's guys like Philip Evans that keep it entertaining. And then you had to see him go down the way he did, which, oh, God, Polanco. Uh, anyways, <laughs> next and last question here. So <clears throat> someone like yourself, obviously, Matt, amazing flow, right? I'm sure you had plenty of <laughs> Vanessa Hutchinson's of the world, you know, watching you and, and whatnot <laughs> and, you know, all that is handsome athletes. 
So I want to know, you know, you know firsthand, I'm sure. Having Vanessa Hudson on, on Cole Tucker's side, do you think there's a potential possibility that this could enhance his performance? Because now he's got to own up to this. And maybe there's a breakout coming in 2021 because of Vanessa Hudgens. Oh, uh, from your lips to God's ears, man, whatever it takes. Um, you know, when I first thought about the, the, uh, the love connection here, <laughs> I was like, wow, Cole Tucker, really? He's the guy um, dating the Hollywood starlet. I would not have picked him first, certainly. I probably would have said like a Josh Bell or maybe a Stephen Brault um, for his uh, personality, his entertainment acumen. But then I, the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, Cole Tucker, tall, six foot three, handsome, got the hair going on, a per, lot of personality in Cole Tucker, too. So the more I thought about it, the more it added up. And um, maybe this is just uh, one step in, uh, <laughs> in his asserting himself and uh, bringing some more confidence to the major league level. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> hey, for, for me, uh, it's not a bad thing. I'll put it that way. I'm happy for him. Oh, yeah. Very, very him. happy Jeez. for him. Come on. Not <laughs> I mean, clearly his childhood crush. <laughs> now he's dating her. Look, I say it every time. He's on the same wa- same wavelength as Zach Efron now. Good for him. Pretty much. And and it, <laughs> uh, it's going to be funny. There's that uh, Us Weekly phenomenon, I like to call it, when it comes to sports, um, or, or at least just generally athletes. They'll always say, oh, uh, Vanessa Hudgens uh, dating uh, Pittsburgh Pirates star Cole Tucker. They'll call everyone a star in these, yeah. <laughs> in these articles. So maybe if Cole sees enough of that, he starts to believe it. Well, I man, I'll put it this way. They t- typically are stars. <laughs> that's, that's the conundrum here. <laughs> well, sometimes. Other times it's, it's like it's some random tight end on an NFL team, and they'll call him uh, you know, Kansas City Chiefs star, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, he's not. A, I don't even know who he is. Um, and I'm a sports fan. So, um, they they, uh, they take enough. their liberties to make everything seem a little more interesting and exciting than it actually is. Right, right. I'm happy for Cole. Best off-season story for the Pirates, easily. That definitely beats uh, out sure. retaining Eric Gonzalez, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all the questions oh, I had for you in that game. Um, and I do really appreciate you coming on. I don't know if, if Tyler had anything else he wanted to add. He might have some soccer takes or I don't know. Nope, soccer's terrible. Matt's <laughs> awesome. And he's got great sandwich takes. Yes. I just would like to say um, I will miss Trevor Williams, honestly. Um, I really enjoyed the guy. And, boy, I, I was optimistic after 2018. Who couldn't have been at, at that mm. point? But, um, you know, I thought it was a possibility that they might let him go just because Charrington doesn't have that attachment uh, that Neil Huntington would have had to, uh, to Williams. And that was the one that made the one surprise of the off season though, because I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought they would give him maybe another half of a season to show him what, what he, what he has. But I think that move in general, guys, if I had to sum up where the pirates are right now, it's they're definitely in uh, you know full teardown mode. Every player's in play. It's, it's uh, it's been a while since we've been exactly here. I think as as followers of this team, it's it's been more than a decade, in fact, since they've been at this stage. So, um, yeah, no one's safe. Um, in, in some ways, that can be a little nerve wracking, but I think it can also be exciting when you are as far down the standings as the Pirates are, which was at the absolute bottom in in 2020. So, if there's one positive to take from it, it's that 
Sherrington doesn't have the attachment to any of these guys, and, and uh, he's not going to be clouded by any kind of uh, bias in, in retaining these players just because um, he's seen them come up and, and he's, uh, he's invested in them. So at least when you, when you look at the, the management side of things as of right now, that's where I would, I would say we have a dispassionate eye and, and Ben Sherrington at the, at the helm. And I suppose we will all find out <laughs> where, where this thing goes, new decade opening up and, and uh, well, hoping for a new direction. Right. Let's hope so. If All not, right. it is what it is. I mean, we're used to it by now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Can't get any worse. Be, be the Phillies in a couple of years and <laughs> try to do it again. Yeah. Well, Matt, uh, thank you for coming on. And why don't you let everyone know, if they don't know, uh, where they can find you. Well, you can find me on Twitter, uh, M-A-T-T-G-A-J-T-K-A. Uh, no spaces or underscores. But um, I'm also producing content for Pittsburgh Sports Live. I'm doing post-game shows for the Steelers, hopefully the Penguins in January, and uh, definitely the Pirates whenever they do retake the field. And, um, yeah, you can uh, basically find all, all my uh, links to my work on the Twitter. So I would just suggest for uh, folks to, to find me there. And it's been a fallow period, I think, in sports overall. But uh, for myself, I was telling you guys before we started – uh, kind of a lost year trying to do a lot of self-improvement and uh, obviously, like I said, the new addition to the family. So maybe it was perfect timing for all that to just focus on that. And then uh, we can get back to uh, some more fun sportsy type things in 2021. Thanks again for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Once again, thanks, Matt, for coming on the show. Um, again, if you're listening to this now, this was recorded Wednesday night. I know you're listening on Sunday or later. So if things that we said sound dumb and terrible or wrong, it's because it happened after we talked. But with that said, uh, we thank you all for listening. We will be, again, this is now Sunday. So, yeah, next up will be Dinero's Dugout on Tuesday, Starbucks on Wednesday. And then Thursday will be NS9 Live again. So, Tyler? We out here. We out? We good? All right, we'll see y'all later. Bye-bye. Peace out, Girl Scouts.